A reading from Mark chapter 4. All right. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there, while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He began to teach them many things in parables, and his teaching and in his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And he said to that, and he said, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. When he was alone, those who were around him, along with the twelve, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of heaven, but for those outside everything comes in parables, in order that they may indeed look but not perceive, and may indeed listen but not understand, so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root and endure, endure only for a while. Then, when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, and it yields nothing. And these are the ones sown on the good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a bushel basket? or under the bed, and not on the lampstand. For there is nothing hidden except to be disclosed, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Let anyone with ears to hear listen. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get, and still more will be given to you. For those who have, more will be given. And from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. He also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, and then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. 
He also said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when sown upon the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs, and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The kids are invited to Kids Church with Kelly today. told them the secret of the kingdom has been given to you is what Jesus says about these parables in the gospel of Mark. Now if you're visiting today or haven't been for a couple weeks we're going through the gospel of Mark from uh, the season called Epiphany uh, to the season called Lent to Easter Um, and that's about 15 weeks this year. Um, If you'd like we have these copies of the gospel of Mark available in the back by the door. Um, You can both uh, read along, follow along, read along. Uh, it, it's got plenty of room. Rosie and I have been painting on this side of the page, but you can take notes, write whatever you want. Um, but I think the more time you can spend thinking about one image, and, and that's why I've been painting, is you take one of the images and you, and you sort of uh, put them over here and, and spend time thinking about the ways in which that gets into you. Uh, I think for the, one of these pages I painted Jesus on the boat teaching to the crowd and thinking about what that means that as, as they sort of come close to him, he has to move offshore to be able to teach to all the people. Um, so these are available in the back. Um, uh, feel free to take one. Take one for a friend if you know somebody who wants or needs one. Um, but this is uh, our fourth Sunday in the Gospel of Mark, and we've made it to chapter four. I had to skip a lot. Um, and we've been walking through sort of what this announcement is at the beginning is that, is that Jesus comes on the scene very fast in the book of Mark, and he announces this kingdom that is at hand, this kingdom that is coming to the world. And people's response to that is supposed to be that they are to turn around, that they are to repent, that they are to change directions, to go in a new way. And that is how they are to respond for the kingdom. And so that's what Jesus announces. And then from there, Jesus... Um, uh, cast out a demon and was sort of showing this restoration, the way that we talked about it, of sacred time and sacred place. Jesus was, was restoring both the Sabbath and the synagogues, and he'll restore the, the temple as he sort of goes through this, this mission he has. But, but the, he was restoring, restoring these days in which the fullness is supposed to be here. Then he healed and cast out demons and sort of move throughout the countryside doing that. And what happened in that last section we talked about is an opposition begins to assert itself. They, we get these stories that we remember. Jesus heals somebody who's 
who's brought down through the roof or something like that. We remember these stories. But what Jesus is doing is responding to, to questions people are asking. Why does your teacher do this on the Sabbath? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does your teacher live in this way? And so while the stories are important, part of what, we, what we're listening for in that section is the answers that Jesus is given to this opposition that's mounting. In the section right before what Jeremy read for us today, um, the, the Jesus is sort of, they begin to say that he must be in cahoots with Satan for doing this. And Jesus says that a kingdom, this is the second time the word kingdom appears in this gospel, a kingdom divided itself with it cannot stand. And he, and he talks about how the stronger one um, must go into the house of the strong man, bind him, and then he can plunder it. Now most interpretations and this is the one that I think we'll use as we go through the book of Mark this year, look at that scene as Jesus saying, as he comes into the world, announcing the kingdom, moving and repairing the world through broken relationships, broken bodies, and broken spirits, and the demonic casting them out. He is the one who has bound the one who once controlled this sphere, this, this realm, and is rescuing people from it. And so what this chapter 4 comes as, that we read most of, not all of, comes as sort of an interlude of sorts where Jesus defines then what is going on with this kingdom way through the use of parables. Now I find it funny that Jesus, the second he gets a very, very large crowd, somebody translated it this week, the largest crowd, he begins to speak to them in a way that's hard to understand. He explains that to the disciples later, but he begins to use parables to speak to them rather than direct format. He talks in a different way as soon as he gets it. And you see this pattern that Jesus has throughout the Gospels is large crowd says something controversial, sometimes loses crowd, large crowd. Um, and the crowds are meant to be a lesson for us in thinking about where do we stand amongst Jesus as we read the Gospels. There are times where we might read them skeptically among the crowd. We're those who observe what's going on, but we're not those who participate. There are times where we read it as if we're close, like the disciples, hearing and trusting in these things. Although, notably, nobody makes it out of this looking great other than Jesus. Uh, great's a relative term. I mean the fact that, that, that people continually to struggle to get it. And so we're sort of caught up in that mix. And so Jesus, at this moment, takes this sort of time, this is the second longest teaching in the book of Mark, what we just read, um, to sort of display what it is that this kingdom is doing. Now, one of the things that I wanted to say is, um, first, we, one of the most influential things for me was four or five years ago, we went through just the parables that make up Matthew 13, the, the parables of the kingdom there, which have a parallel some of these parables we read today overlap. And it was funny because we did that in, I think, six weeks. And so I have one sermon to get over all these ones. I'll do it. <laughs> I'll cut myself off at some point. Um, but the point being is, is that, that what I learned, and I think what Mark's community learns through listening to these parables, what spoke to me was that these things, as Jesus' advent comes into the world, and we aim to do good things, and we aim to live in the pattern of this kingdom. Why is there so much opposition? Why isn't it big and grand? Why hasn't it overtaken? And what Jesus does in Mark 13, and what he does in these parables too, is begins to explain to them why this time is a time of smallness. Why this time is a time of growing. 
This is mainly agricultural metaphors he uses. Why this is a time of patience and trusting what God is about to do. I don't know about you, but that is not my strong suit. But as I listened to them, it became clear that the kingdom is in the world. The kingdom is is in, in the cracks in which we will overlook it. But it comes like a seed. It germinates, and it, and it grows, and it's small, and it weathers the elements. But what each one of these parables speaks of is there will be a time of fulfillment, too. A time of full growth and a time of harvest. We pray that the harvest may be soon, that it may be great. But in Mark's gospel, those are sort of the things that come at the end of time. Those are the things that come as we go. One of the the parable where the seed just grows, it says first a shoot, um, then an ear, and then the full thing. And Mark's Mark's community would have read this sort of in that three ways, is that first it comes as a shoot, which which they would have applied most clearly to Jesus. It comes in sort of this shoot way. Then it comes in the ear. It begins to take root in the world. And that's sort of what they would see the church as. And then it comes in its fullness, and that's what they would know that they are awaiting. That is not yet. This is one of the images we the, use for this, is there's this already not yet, which is, is appearing throughout these parables. There's the already that the kingdom has been advented in Jesus, and there's the not yet of its film fulfillment. And so one of the things that... that as I was thinking about this, is what is the shape of this kingdom? So as Jesus comes and gives these parables, he doesn't tell us what the kingdom is. He tells us the mystery of the kingdom. But what I think is if we look at what Jesus has been doing through one through four, what the shape of the kingdom is, is that restoration. It is the restoration of sacred time and sacred place. It is the restoration of broken bodies. It is the restoration of, of sort of relationships. It's in, in that story at Levi's house where the tax collectors and sinners are gathered. He says it's the time of a doctor that comes to the sick. That the kingdom, if you want to know what it looks like in Mark, you look at what Jesus is doing because he is the advent of the kingdom. But the question he's answering through these parables is, is why is the kingdom not appearing in the world that the way Mark's community expects it to? Why is the kingdom taking time to take root? Most notably for the first century Christians, and you'll find this in Paul's letter to the Romans uh, most explicitly stated, but other ways, is, is why as they've come to see Jesus as the fulfillment of the Jewish Messiah, the one who's come from that line, why are, are the people who should know or are part of that community rejecting it? It's one of those things, if you think about human culture, it seems so obvious to you, why is everybody else not getting it? But that's what we find, I think, in these parables. It's not just that tension, but it's a tension in our own lives as we think about the kingdom. And and this is, um, it's hard for me because there's not, I have not spent enough time thinking about the kingdom in this way as I probably should for the age I am and the development I am as a, as a spiritual leader. That, that, that you, I remember the parables more in what they say than what they're pointing to. I don't remember the parables in this, in this way that perhaps they're trying to point us into patience and trust in God's kingdom in the present. 
Um, and so what Jesus is, says about these things is, is he paints this picture, and I think one of the questions for us and for, for Mark's community that I alluded to is that is this time in which Jesus has come and has been crucified and raised, is it a time of mourning and is fasting and a time of demonic activity being active in the world and us just persevering? Or is it a time of the joyful presence of the spirit of Jesus being with us and those things being near to us? Is that the time that we're in or are we in the time of this great trial? And, and what Jesus says through um, these parables in the Gospel of Mark is, is not really both, uh, but is kind of this way in which we are living through both of those things. There is the joy of the kingdom as we see it take root in the, in the cursed soil of our world. There is the opposition which forms itself. Most clearly we hear that in the parable of the sower. But all of these, the one with the light, I mean light has its own resistance in which we call it darkness. Um, that there is resistance contained within these. And so the church does not live fully triumphant. And yet the church does not live fully defeated either. And through the use of parables and stories, Mark is portraying um, that lesson of the kingdom. The last thing before we get started in, in sort of uh, this particular story is that the parables point to an overlap of the ages. There is time in which seed is not taking root, and there is time in which seed is taking root in people's hearts and lives. There is time in which the seed grows and the farmer doesn't know anything about why, and then there is harvest. And, and so there's this overlap of the ages. I spared you guys my regular photo of, of the, the two timelines overlapping this Sunday, but, uh, which is captured in these words already and not yet, by the way. But what most people expected of the Messiah in the first century was that there would be a new timeline just beginning and the old timeline would cease. There would be no overlapping of the ages. And so uh, the Jewish documents that are popular at this time that didn't make our Bible for various reasons speak of a full resurrection of the dead, not the resurrection of one faithful Jew from the dead. And so when Jesus is raised, they might go, that's great, Where's everybody else, if you're thinking within the Jewish frame of the time? And so what is portrayed in these parables would be a radical break in the expectation, personally our own, I'd be like, just do the whole thing at once. Why have these overlapping times? Um, but is this overlapping of this time in which there is still opposition, but the kingdom is taking fruit in the world, that the kingdom is growing in the world? And so as we listen to it, it's, it's, it's careful to keep that in mind. As the shape of the story is, is, is after this, Jesus is going to do his first mission into Gentile territory too. Um, and so that'll change things as well as he sort of goes into that spot too, as he is this kingdom is supposed to be revealed, is growing. It takes further root by going into the next spot. Um, and so that's sort of where the shape of where we're, we're looking at the story in Mark's narrative. The first parable, uh, my TV in the back died, so I have to look around, is the parable of the sower. This is the thing that he teaches as he gets his biggest crowd. And this one is explained for us. There's a, there's a little bit of a, a parable reading thing that all the parables are kind of explained. The, the ones get explicit explanation. Expl 
explanations, but in Mark's gospel, they all get explained in some way or another. They're sort of being revealed as that. But, but this first one, the parable of the sower, is heard without explanation. And one of the things that you would think hearing this in, is, what are the people who are hearing this without that time of explanation supposed to take away from it? In the Old Testament, there's this notion of in which the... Um, God is coming to harvest. God is sowing seed in the world. And so they would hear in this an expectation of what they're used to, is that God would come and bring respiration, um, that he would come and bring this harvest into the world. And so we have this way in which Jesus is sort of portraying for them something that they already know. And he says to them that this is the mystery of what they're supposed to, to sort of grapple with. And this mystery is this overlapping of the ages that we talked about. That this mystery of the kingdom is that it is both already and not yet. It is here and yet not fully here. Um, and that this is in some ways hidden in history, this way of thinking about it. This uh, parable, as he gives it, um, points out many different things on soil, and producing a crop and a yield. And there's this way in which if you look at the plural with the seeds and the not seed, is that he's, he's um, we don't get an answer to who the sower is, even in the interpretation, but one is going out and sowing the word. Now, as we get to the explanation, one of the things that I think is perhaps most shocking about this is the word is the active ingredient by which brings about the new creation. The word isn't just the vehicle of the message. It's not just, I give you the word of that so that you can hear it and understand it and then do the work. The word is what is planted into people. The word is what is sown into the earth. And it is the word that brings forth fruit. There's this living and activeness to what Jesus is saying about the word going forth. This announcement that the kingdom is at hand. And for those who hear, we go, okay, what's next? There's this way in which it, it, that what's next is the word already. It's taking fruit in your life. The word is coming in and um, being the agent of renewal. And we can think about word, um, you know, in a flat way. I think some of some... An evangelical interpretation here is just like giving out the Bible. It's the Gideon standard, right? Like, just put a Bible in every hotel room, and that'll be the word taking fruit in the world. Um, very literal. Uh, so there's the benefit. Um, but I think perhaps it's missing that this word is alive and active. And what was read from Isaiah, too, for us today is that this word goes out and does its work. It does its work faithfully and produces. This word isn't just an empty thing. And this word lives in the community and lives in people's lives. So the idea of putting a, a Bible into every hotel room while um, fitting um, also seems to miss that it's supposed to take root in some way within us. It's not just that I have the word, unfortunately today for many people, on my phone. <laughs> it's a, I have a war with phones and the word. Um, sorry. Side note. Um, but that the word is meant to be something that comes and resides within us. And so Jesus interprets this. The word comes along the soils. And there's a familiar pattern as you look at it. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. 
Again, I probably should have thought about these things more at this point in my life, but when we go out, and the word, the sower, I think, is left vague because I think the sower is at first God and sending Jesus into the world, is Jesus as he proclaims the word in the world, and then us, too, as we go and proclaim the word into the world. Um, And this word is always, uh, for us, a word outside of us. It is a seed that we hold and then and then move on from. It's not something that that we uh, bring the same way that Jesus does. But this word um, is pulled up by Satan before it can take root in them. Now, if you've ever done sort of cold evangelism um, and and tried to spread the word in that way, which I have, it's not often that you think that as you spread that word, that you think Satan is coming and stealing it. But this is the interpretation that Jesus provides first on this. That as we spread the word of this announcement of the kingdom into the world, there is something actively opposed to it taking root in people's lives. It is that which steals and destroys, in other words. It is that which aims to tear down. It's that which has been warring with Jesus since the beginning of this gospel as he comes into the world. And Jesus binds this one that this one is still active in pulling people away from this. The word has no chance to take any root because the word is a threat in that way to the powers of darkness, to that which reigns in that way. Others are like the seed thrown in rocky places. They heard the word and receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When troubles or persecutions come because of the word, they quickly fall away. This is one that I think hits close to home for us today. As we bring people into the church and into community, and we bring the word out to people, there are people who, who receive it with such great joy. And the time of their falling away is hard for us. There's two like this. This is, this is when persecution or trouble comes, they quickly fall away. The word taking root in your life does not exempt you from trouble or persecution is one of the truths that this begins with. When trouble or persecution comes in those who it takes root, they persevere, but they are not exempt from trouble or persecution. And so too, it is for us to see in these moments of time in which the word has still not had time to take root because the the trouble and persecution that come are able to sort of... uh, snuff it out. Um, And there's within, I think, many of us, and you don't see this in just people who become Christians, but within many of us, I don't think it should be a fear, but an awareness um, that there is a trouble and there is a persecution that even for ourselves might damage the word inside of us. We keep it on the outside, but but I think that even for Mark's community, there's the chance to hear this, is that trouble and persecution are coming. If you have not conceived of that as part of receiving of the word, there's a naiveness there. And as that trouble and persecution comes, it's to weather and to go through that storm is what's called to us not to abandon. But I fear that, that it's still too often I meet Christians who have done the Christian thing as they say it, for X number of years, and some sort of trouble or persecution come, and their faith is abandoned and lost. Not an easy word to hear, but it's one in which I think we can learn today this way of it needing 
to withstand those things that they'll come. The next is uh, perhaps the one that Jesus meant for Colorado. Still others like the seed sown among the thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. This is one that I could say more about, but I'm not sure is necessary in our context. So often we get the word, and there are the wealth, uh, um, pleasures, uh, worldly things. Easter season this year, um, as a forethought, I, I want to preach through the world, the flesh, and the devil as sort of the three things. These are classically for the church the three things that war against the Christian, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, but for the moment, this would be the world is the thing that wars against the Christian. It steals like Satan steals. It snuffs it out. So, pastor, as Christians in the world today, I think we could say a lot more about that, but I'm not sure it's needed. I think we see it in our own world. We see it in our own lives, this deceitfulness of wealth, of activity, of um, the great outdoors here. I mean, I meet with other pastors who are always like, how do you get people to come to church on Sunday when they want to do X, Y, or Z? Um, and we all shrug. <laughs> um, but that temptation is strong with our spirit here. But the last is others like seed sown on good soil. Hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 60, some, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Some like the seed sown on good sealed. Hear the word and accept it. As the word is sown in people, it's for us to hear the word and to accept it and to have that grow within us. You've got the, the notion of growth, too. In the back of the bulletin, the quote for today is, is um, I think it's growing th- things don't make, growing things make no noise, is that we want things to take root in the world through noise and pizzazz and all this amazing things. But it's for us to be this patient soil that has the word grow within us. It takes its own time. It goes at its own rate. It is for us to have the word. Um, a commentator put it this way, to, to, to break and, and tear and to restore and to break and tear in the way that uh, seeds break through soil, in the way that seeds weather through conditions, in the way that seeds um, germinate. And uh, in, in other gospel, portions of the gospel, Jesus will talk that unless a seed dies, that we go through this process of sort of, becoming holy through this warring in ourselves in which a seed takes root so that it can grow. And it reaps 60, 30, 60, 100. These would be a great harvest. And so what is small and has a chance, what three fail and one survives, yields a great amount. Jesus then says that... Um, uh, there's this in-between. Jesus teaches in-between two of the parables, but uh, he uses this passage from Isaiah. They uh, may be ever seeing but never perceiving and hearing but never understanding. Otherwise turn, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Um, this is challenging teaching when you think about it, is that, is that Jesus is teaching this way and people are not supposed to be able to hear it because otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Incidentally, this is a quote from the book of Isaiah. Jesus is quoting from the book of Isaiah about this, and it becomes from the beginning of the book when Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. Um, 
And he says, what's the message I have to give Israel? And it's this message that they won't hear and they won't perceive and they won't see. Isaiah then asks, how long? And I was going to have it read, but I'm trying to cut down on the short, sad readings in the worship set where we go to the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, But it, it, it says, until everything is desolate. That's how long people won't hear or see or understand. But I think what we miss, and this comes to the next parable about the light, is that the word at the end of Isaiah doesn't go out and is not fruitful. It doesn't go out and not fulfill its purpose. That within these things is a time in which these things are muted. But if you read all of Isaiah, which is a good thing to do if you're going <laughs> to, don't stop at chapter 6, um, God's bringing about restoration through this rejection. This time of silence and this time of turning astray is meant to be so that God can heal and bring back what's needed. We live in such a short frame, in such an individualistic frame, per se, but when you think about God's mission as a people, as a gathered group, to go out into the world and to have people reject in this way for the purpose of longer fulfillment, there's something more shining forth there. Which brings us to the next parable, the lamp on the stand. He said, do not bring, uh, in the Greek it says more like when the lamp comes, which is a weird thing to say. When the lamp comes, there will be light, because in our world, we don't even use lamps, but uh, and we'd need an extension cord. <laughs> Is that a good joke? Um, uh, but theirs come on with candles. You know, when the lamp comes, there'll be light in the room. And what this, I think, helps us to think is that when Jesus comes, when this announcement comes into the world, it casts light everywhere. But even here, there's that temptation for the agents of darkness to put it under a bowl or under a bed. Instead, shouldn't this lamp go onto a stand? And this is perhaps going back to that Isaiah reading. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. That this notion in which this lamp, this message, is meant to shine forth in the room. It's meant to bring light into the darkness. It's meant to be in the open. Consider carefully what you hear with the measure you use. It will be measured to you even more. Whoever has been given more, uh, whoever been given more, whoever does not have, even that will, whoever has been given will be given more, and whoever does not have, even that will be taken from them. There's this truth here, um, which is to say that those who receive the word, who have that seed take fruit root in them, will receive more of that as they go along that path. And for those who resist, those who turn astray, those whom this chokes out and say, more will be taken from them. It's, it's, um, it's like a rule more than it's like a saying, is that if you don't participate and have this seed within you, of course there'll be no harvest. And of course, if you reject it, it will be taken even more. With two last parables, um, the parable of the growing seed, I think, is perhaps important for our church and, our, and what we consider our mission here. The kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed on the ground night and day. When he sleeps and get up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by the soil, 
all by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, and then the four kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, but the har- because the harvest has come. This one I love because the mission of Defiance Church is to be a witness to the reign of God reconciling all things. We don't understand how the kingdom comes the same way the farmer doesn't understand how the soil, the seed, comes to root. What we do is we plant, we go to bed, we get up, we go to bed, we get up, the seed sprouts and grows without us being able to do it. I try to say we don't bring the kingdom of God. As our church, we can witness to that realm We can witness to that dominion and its fullness that comes in Jesus, but it is not our work of bringing it. If perhaps we can be as as high and mighty as we want on thinking we're the one who put the seed in the ground, but the rest of the work is God's. And so there's this um, phrase I use a lot um, that, that when Hitler was elected power of Germany, they came to the theologian Karl Barth, who had been resisting Hitler. He had been cast out by Hitler. He had written the, the, one of the most prominent declarations against Hitler. They said to, to him, uh, Dr. Barth, you know, what should we do? And he said to them, and he wrote this out in an uh, essay called Christian Existence Today, we should go on as if nothing has happened. And what he means, I think, is that if we've been faithful, if we've been sowing seed, if we've been what, witnessing to this kingdom and doing what God has called us to do, it is not the election of Hitler that changes history. The church doesn't play call and response with the demons of the world. But instead, it goes on doing what it's been called to do. We go on as if nothing has happened. This is why when current events happen, and and if you're on social media, everybody will say, if your pastor doesn't preach on this Sunday, find a new church. And it's like, well, you're not going to hear about it here. (laughs) You can save yourself time um, if you're looking for that. Because I think part of our, our, the way in which we go about listening to the word is to go on as if Christ and God have a word for us, and they bring about the kingdom. But we go on as if nothing has happened, not ignoring the hurt and pain of the world. But we were carrying, hopefully, for the hurt and the pain before even that happened. We don't live naively in this world. And so we go on as those working towards what God has called us into. We talked about first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. This this way in which this comes in sort of three movements, and then the harvest comes, which they would know comes at the end of time. And this last parable, the parable of the mustard seed, begins with this smallness, this tiniest of seeds that grows up into a mature thing on earth that birds can perch in and with its shade. This is this last one that points to this kingdom and its tininess in the way that it comes in the world. It's the smallest of seeds. And yet as it grows, it grows through resistance into something full. And this fullness, if, if Old Testament prophetic language here, would suggest that that this fullness is this home for Gentiles and other people to sort of seek um, within this thing that has grown, within this kingdom, a refuge. People will find goodness here that the birds can branch in its shade. 
And so what we have for us today is this notion of this kingdom um, as we devotionally take it into our hearts, as it takes root within us, that we know that this, the answer of the question that we began with is, is this the time of tribulation of demons in this and we just fast and hope to survive? Or is this time of the seed taking root and the growth coming and God's goodness being within us um, and so we have joy the answer that marks parables of the kingdom, the mystery of the kingdom, it is, is, is that it is both times. We don't live naively, just enjoy not knowing that there's an enemy and darkness that comes, that which wars against these things. And yet there's this way in which there is seed taking root. There is growth happening that God causes these things to sink into the soil and bring about the kingdom is the goodness that we have in store as well. So let us pray. God, you have spoken to us in parables so that we might understand the mystery of your kingdom. God, we pray for your kingdom to come into this world on earth as it is in heaven, we pray. And so, God, we, as your people, aim to have this seed of this announcement of the kingdom take root within us so that we can be the first fruits of what happens there. That as the seed is planted in us the way the farmer is, it grows, we go up, we get down, um, it goes to sleep, that it may sink into our weary world, into our soil, into our hearts, and bring about the fruitfulness you desire before the harvest. May we be a people who witness to this kingdom in the shape of your Son who announced it. The power of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Amen.